In this episode, we're going to come at you fast and furious as we talk all about the latest spinoff of the Fast and Furious franchise. That's right, Hobbs and Shaw coming up. Get your popcorn ready. Hobbs and Shaw. You want a war? You've got one. Showtime. You want to tell me just what we're dealing with here? Look at me. Bulletproof. Superhuman. I'm Black Superman. We're going for a ride! Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie, theater, popcorn, and other movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy. Joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, how you doing today? You know, it's taking about almost almost a full day to uh, cool down from that that movie to process was it because the air conditioning was broken in the theater <laughs> exactly because, because i know that this movie has a lot of like sweaty dudes and it's like very hot and everybody's got baby oil and sweat but i was sweating hard <laughs> it's we're in arizona it's the middle of the summer it's not the great Greatest place. That's to how have dedicated a, we are to the podcast. It is. We, we didn't, sit through a non-air-conditioned <laughs> theater. We just sat, so we could get this done. Sat through the whole thing. Now, granted, I'm happy to sit through it for this kind of this kind of nonsense. I'm happy to do it. I enjoy it. But yes, it wasn't the most comfortable, cool movie movie viewing experience that we've ever had. But we did it. We saw it. We are here now to talk about Hobbs and Shaw, or more accurately. Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw, which apparently is the actual official title now. Technically, this is the ninth film in the in the world of the Fast and the Furious, but it's the first quote unquote spin-off. It's that's been what the creators have said, that's what been what the producers have said. They they took the two characters that were introduced in Fast Five and Fast Six, I believe, respectively, or the end of Fast Six. And now they're the stars of their own buddy cop action adventure. Can can these two coexist? Absolutely batshit crazy action extravaganza. Um, one one thing, and we'll get into we'll get into everything. We'll get into them. We'll get into the fact that Idris Elba's in this movie. We'll get into the fact that there's a lot of stuff happening in this movie. But before we do that, one of the things that I don't think we talk enough about is. Um, the fact that this is one of the few totally original franchises that exists out there, right? Do you consider... Now, granted, David, the first film was essentially Point Break with Cars. With Cars. And it was stealing, created... Stealing DVD players. Stealing DVD players. It was <laughs> It was created when one of the writers and producers read a story about street racers and filmed this whole crime story around it. Paul Walker, Vin Diesel, at the fairly you know early start slash beginnings of their careers, and it was original. It wasn't adapted. It wasn't pulled from a um, comic book. It wasn't pulled from a book. I mean, it was pulled from I guess an article. I guess, um, but 
it has mutated. It has uh, gotten a shot of nitrous oxide, if you will, and turned into one of the most successful, one of the most popular franchises in the world right now. And how do you feel about that? Do you feel, does that make you feel good? I mean, it, it, these movies are almost always review proof, in my opinion. Um, but I kind of like that. I mean, yeah, this is the ninth film in the franchise, but it's solely based on the, I mean, the the sheer will and determination of like Neil Moritz, who we'll get into in a little bit. I don't, maybe we'll get into, and Diesel and Chris Morgan. And there's something admirable about that, I think. What do you think? Despite the fact that we're now at this point <laughs> of pure nonsense. Well, I mean, basically what they've created in essence is the new Bond. Yeah. They're like, almost like, for lack of a better term, like the millennials version of Bond. Right. From the standpoint of we have this franchise that technically could go as long as they wanted to go. If nothing else, Hobbs and Shaw proves that in the sense that this is the first film that we're getting that doesn't have, I guess, technically Tokyo Drift didn't really have Diesel or Paul Walker I mean, or some of the originals. But it had Han and it had Diesel at the end. Spoilers sure, for Tokyo sure. Drift, I guess. But it was kind of the the only other, at the time, it felt like a spinoff. I know it wasn't technically, and the way that they wrapped it into the franchise right. made it not a spinoff. In hindsight. But in hindsight. When it came out, it felt like, okay, we're branching off. This is a whole new Fast and the Furious. Not to get too far into it, but how do you feel about Tokyo Drift? We didn't have the time. It's been a busy summer for us. Okay, so uh, number one, I apologize. We did not have the opportunity to do a franchise refills on Fast and Furious. Maybe we'll do it next year for the ni- for the true ninth film. But how do you feel about Tokyo Drift? I love Tokyo Drift. I came around on it. I think when it first came out, I think my natural reaction was partly jaded by the fact that it didn't have any of the people like I wanted in it. You know, it was all these different characters in. But that being said, it probably has the best like true like street racing right. like action like action Aside, that happens in there. Like I mean, you've got all the drifting and that kind of stuff yeah. which is like legitimate like Real driving. racing. Real the, racing. The race at that. the beginning through the housing complex is dope. Not yep. to like make this a Tokyo Drift episode. Um, but do you think that I mean it's hard because we're talking about a movie that stars two of the biggest international stars in the world now and is dumber than a bag of hammers, but also a lot of fun. Um, do you think that it's fair that it gets lost? I mean, it's not really an original film because it is a ninth sequel, but it's also not it's not a rehashed IP. It's not rebooted. It, it hasn't really it's it's kind of evolved naturally yeah which is rare i think especially when we're talking aladdin the lion king and things like that well i think the thing about the this franchise is it doesn't feel tired necessarily to me and maybe it's because the spacing is a little bit more than something like marvel sure Um, a couple of years maybe it's because we don't have source content so you truly don't know what the story is going to be right you know what it's going to involve you know the over overarching themes that go across all these films of you know you usually got kind of like that hip-hop action music kind of background right uh you're gonna have cars driving fast and and that kind of stuff um but you don't really at this point we especially don't know because it's turned into basically a superhero film in essence but you do have that sense of 
we don't know where they're going to take this. And that's where I feel like there's a lot of comparisons to bond where it feels like the only way we can continue pushing this further and further is to kind of one up the previous villain. Right. And so, you know, in Fast and the Furious's case, they started at his the bottom, literally knocking off semi trucks with DVDs in them. And then we've gradually escalated, you know, knocking off a you know, undercover with the drug lord and in, in the second one. Yeah, you got DVDs, drug lords, Yakuza. Yakuza. More like international drug lords yep. in Mexico, then international drug lords in Brazil, Rio de Janeiro, yep. and then international criminals. Yeah. And now we're a superhero team. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I think I think it's been fun to see kind of the evolution of it. I also think it's been fun, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but to watch you know, some of the characters evolve throughout this sure. whole franchise as well, which sure. has been really fun as um, well. And we get a lot of new characters in this movie as well because it is a spinoff, right? We we get, even for just a scene or two, we get a bunch of new characters, some of which we'll talk about here, some of which we'll talk about in spoilers. But there's a lot. So let me list off some of the, the characters and then we can talk about who had like the biggest impact so to speak. Before I get into the characters though, this movie actually makes a point of finally introducing like the spec apparently the specter of the Fast and Furious universe which is called uh Ethereum or Ethereum or something like I can't even remember exactly what the name of it is, but it's some international Etian Etion or Etion or whatever. Some international high tech, well funded terrorist organization. And that's the first sort of biggest, like, world expanding thing that this movie has. Before they're dealing with criminals trying to steal a thing and sell it to a guy. Now they're not even dealing with, like, a country anymore. It's just a a band of terrorists trying to make the world a better place through technology, which also gives the franchise an excuse. To bump stuff up into sci-fi territory. This movie yeah. doesn't quite go full Moonraker, but it does go full Die Another Day. Yeah. Um, beyond that, we get Idris Elba as Brixton Lore, who is the black Superman. He's this genetically, mechanically engineered kind of artificial augmentation uh, bad guy. Mm-hmm. Big, big bad guy. We get Vanessa Kirby as Hattie Shaw, who is Deckard Shaw, Jason Statham's very, very capable sister. I have questions about ages um, (laughs) beyond that. Uh, We have uh, Isa Gonzalez. I think it's Isa. It's Isa Gonzalez as Madam M, who's kind of like another like thief. Uh, she's one of the, and she'll, I guarantee you she'll come back. I guarantee you Sure. when they make like the female fast and furious, she's coming back. Um, you got character actor, Eddie Marson is one of the professors. Helen Mirren comes back as the, uh, the Shaw's mother. And then you get like all of the brothers for, for Hobbs. You get Cliff Curtis, who's been in a bunch of stuff. Yep. Roman Reigns, who's w- one of the biggest stars in WWE right now. And then you get a bunch of other guys. You get Josh Mauga. You got John Tui, uh, the, the mom, uh, Lori Tuisano. Like, again, one of the biggest cool things about the Fast and Furious franchise is it has never been afraid. It started off with a bunch of white guys. 
And it evolved into this really international kind of all shapes, all colors, all creeds, all, all everything. And they certainly continue that here, you know, with the leaning into the Samoan uh, heritage of Hobbes' character and whatnot. So I think that's really cool. Out of all of those people, who do you think is the biggest standout with there? Who, who do you think, like, fair is the best out of all the new people? There's oh, a lot man. of them. It, it's tough. I think, obviously, you're, you're probably going to gravitate to me, towards either Idris Elba or Vanessa Kirby. Sure, they're the two bigger roles. They're of the all two of bigger those. roles, but I also do think everything else is fine. Um, Eddie Marzin is 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 fun as his character. Sure, it's a little bit different than your traditional. Like you always get that like scientist who who created it. Uh-huh. That's always you know just like this innocent person, and this so one, to speak, little, that can't defend crazier. themselves. And he's a, he's a little, little bit crazier. Yeah, he's a little crazy. But um, Idris Elba, I think, plays so much into what the Fast and the Furious is. Um, he's that over the top. He's got some, you know, the way they writ, uh, wrote some of his lines he has, are just. A blast. He just looks like he had a lot of fun. And mm-hmm. even as you read some of the stories about, like, everything that went on during it, you had. Uh, him getting named sexiest man alive yeah. uh, during it, which he took over the mantle from the rock. So yep. there was some fun stuff that went on <laughs> on set around that. So um, you can just tell that he's enjoying himself. And I think, you know, we've talked about this before when people seem like they're having fun filming a movie, like a, a lot of times it comes through in the film. Like sure. when people have fun filming a movie, it a lot of times comes out in these films. And I think that's one of the things that makes these films so enjoyable is that everybody who's been involved in them seems to really enjoy their time doing it. Not that we haven't had some spats with like The Rock and Vin Diesel sure. and Tyrese and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, in, to, to steal from the Fast and the Furious franchise, when, you, when you're a family, families fight. Families you know? fight, exactly. Nobody's, nobody's perfect. I agree with you on all that. Idris Elba's a blast in this movie. His bad guy is so over the top. But also... This movie very much knows what type of movie it is. He literally says the phrase, and this is not too big of a spoiler because it's two words, but he says the phrase genocide, schmenocide. And when you have a movie <laughs> like this that has the bad guy say those words, this movie knows what it's doing. There's some pretty on-the-nose quotes in here. Yes. Like one of them's in the trailer where he's like, Bad guy, bad, you know, bad guy. And, right? And, and then, what's just funny because they actually don't think they're bad guys. They think they're trying to save the world. Like they're like, yeah, well, we want to help the world. We want to purify it. But his literally the first two words that he says are, "I'm the bad guy." Yeah, it's and, like, come on now. <laughs> but then you get late in the movie too, and this isn't a spoiler, but um, <laughs> where they basically say, "If we work together, we can beat them." Like the whole. <laughs> like, <laughs> The whole this is not the first buddy buddy movie buddy cop movie got you know opposites have to work together movie that's ever made that's been made right, right. there's this has existed forever uh, the going all the way back but partners that hate each other that partners that finally hate each come other, together your lethal weapons your tango and caches the they, other guys they've been doing it your other guys all of it right and the f- the fact is that's what every one of those movies is is like like well we can only defeat them if they work together. They actually say it in this movie. There's not a lot of subtlety in this movie. Um, I love Vanessa Kirby in this movie. She's a badass. She's able to hold her own. Yeah. 
both physically and like with the wits yeah. uh, with them. And I really, really appreciate that. Uh, I'm actually surprised that Roman Reigns didn't get as much to do. I, I didn't. I was kind of. What's I, I was surprised. I wasn't disappointed per se because I'm not I like can, a giant Roman Reigns fan. I, I kind of have a theory on that. I have a feeling they may have tried it and it, and it didn't work. work. He was maybe bad. His, maybe his acting isn't up and to stuff. So they let uh, Cliff Curtis kind of carry the load. Well, Cliff- and and even. With that, uh, John Tui, those are probably the two that get featured the most sure. in this. And Cliff uh, is a better, like, Cliff Curtis is a seasoned actor. Like, he has been around for a long time. And the role that they give him as the, kind of the lead brother that. Like the emotional. Hobbs, the emotional right. aspect of that. You, it'd be pretty tough to throw in a wrestler um, just cold first movie and it's and true. try to carry that. It's true. He's been around for. He's in one of my favorite B movies. He's in Deep Rising. He's in The Insider. He's in Training Day. He's in Three Kings. Oh, yeah. Cliff Curtis been around for a while. Very good. Like very um, well well thought of character actor. So yeah. obviously they're gonna get him the the most of this sort of quote unquote acting. Yeah. And John Tui's like that too. He he was in, I think, Solo. Yep. Um, a couple other movies too. Whereas Roman Reigns is a wrestler and then Josh Malga, the other brother, is was an Eagles football player for a while. So I don't know <laughs> if he's still playing or if he's a former, but I know he was a football player at one point. Absolutely. So and and honestly, none of them really in my opinion, drop the ball. They are all there to do what they are supposed to do, and they all do it well, right? So I don't really have any like anything that didn't work per se. Did you? Did you? It's all pretty pretty decent, right? Yeah, I mean, there was some some areas that were a little awkward, in like once they get to Samoa, um, that yeah. were a little like. Don't get me wrong. There's lots of corny in this, but that. When they try to go into some of the family stuff, it got a little over the top corny right. of like, which, what are we suddenly like a family film here? Like that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, a little like, like, but again, we are. We are. are. We not? Yeah. You don't turn your back on family. Yep. They managed to take that through line, which has been ever since, ever since I'm going to say the fourth one. Because for the first three, I'm gonna call bullshit on the family thing. It's there, and you can at least, say at it's least, there. At least in the first one, you have them sitting down for. Right, they do the grace and oh, the you end. took the food. You gotta say grace. Yep. They do that. Um, the second, second one, one, they don't. But it's like it's really only him and uh, Roman. Roman, and they're brothers, you know, yeah. stuff like that. But but they they carry that on throughout here. Now. Obviously, there's a lot of new characters here, but we also get a new director, uh, David Leach or David Leitch. I, I can never, I never know how to pronounce the last name. I think it's Leach, um, and he directed, he co-directed John Wick. He did Atomic Blonde. He did Deadpool Two. Those are decent. Not bad. <laughs> Not a bad lineup here. Every one of those movies, with the exception of the first John Wick, we've done on this podcast and and have enjoyed thoroughly. He's one of, I think, the better action directors out there in terms of like just staging action and putting together action set pieces. And that's because he is a former stuntman. I was going to say, that's that's the thing about the two John Wick guys is mm-hmm. that they both came from that stunt background. Yep, very much so. So how do you feel 
he did in terms of direction. I think one of, one of the things I liked about the direction of this film is that this movie is ridiculous. This movie has uh, superhero physics. This movie has the rock falling out of a building and smashing into a car and then literally like he's Getting fine. Up. He gets up. Uh, it's got a superhuman Idris Elba. And yet I really appreciated how much practical stuff they still did. There's a lot of racing there's a lot of chasing there's a lot of explosions and and a lot of car action and destruction and fights that are still practical and i appreciated that there's still plenty of cg involved but i appreciated that i liked how they i could feel the cars crashing i could feel the explosions and stuff like that uh i enjoyed when it's tangible when you feel it what about you yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the characteristics that we talked about with the Fast and the Furious franchise is that, you know, it it, it all began with car racing and <laughs> highlighting the speed of those cars and, and that element of it. Uh-huh. And even as it's gotten more ridiculous, they've gone out of their way to really emphasize whatever they happen to be driving at the time sure. and the speed around it, minus the four-hour plane runway. Um, Which even then, when you're watching the film, yeah, you don't realize. Sure, it, you know, sure. but um, I felt like in this film, whether it be Idris Elba's bike, which is bonkers, it's and, a Transformers and, bike, and awesome. It's awesome, <laughs> but it's literally like, oh, you're you got a transformer for a bike now. Whether it be the ridiculous, and and you've seen this in the previews if you've watched the previews, uh, <laughs> chain chain of cars that they create to take down a helicopter, uh-huh. like. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. And I think the thing that makes it really great is not only is the action ridiculous, but they are fully self-aware that it's ridiculous. Right. And the lines and the comments match it. Right. So it's not trying to be this serious, gritty, like realistic action movie. It's no. It's being exactly who it is and... That's kind of where we've gotten with the Fast and Furious franchise, and you, and you either like it or you you don't. But I, for one, love it. So I love it. I think that, like I said, the franchise is kind of critic proof at this point. To me, it is a lot like you know that a like chili cheese fries are not good. They're not good for you. <laughs> they are not a good meal. Like they are almost bad in every way, shape, or form. And you can make them badly. You can. Make them yourself. You put fries in the oven. You microwave some chili. Throw it on there. Throw some cheese. Bada bing, bada boom. You're done. But if you get chili cheese fries made by people who know what they're doing with chili cheese fries, they can be really good. You also can't eat chili cheese fries all day, every day. You need a little balance. So I'm glad that a movie like this exists, but... Uh, movies cannot just be this, you know, and that's the big kind of the big thing that we gen- generally talk about here on the podcast, where we love all movies of all shapes and sizes. But even you and I get tired out on the the blockbusters. Oh yeah, you and I get tired out on the mediocre blockbusters, and then we switch over to the Oscar films, and then we get tired of the Oscar films, and we sure. switch back to the blockbusters, right? So. I I appreciate that. I appreciate when a movie is big, loud, dumb, fun, knows it, and has some of the best people for the job like The Rock and Jason Statham. Uh, I didn't actually know this, although it makes sense, but the first two names that come up as producers in the credits are The Rock and Jason Statham. Yep. So they had big, big hands in this particular franchise and in this particular movie 
do you take now not to get too far into like the controversy or whatever, but I do want to talk a little bit behind the scenes. I feel like this yeah. is a good opportunity to talk behind the scenes a little bit because maybe people might not know some of the stories and stuff like that, particularly the pu relatively public feud between Vin Diesel and The Rock. Uh, and from everything that I heard, it was that because Vin Diesel's the producer, he's a little bit more relaxed on his set and his schedules and stuff like that. And The Rock is very like, let's go, let's go, let's do the Like, he's The Rock. He's, well, The Rock's doing like 5,000 things at the same time. And right. Vin Diesel usually is doing one thing. So I don't know how accurate all that is. And then Tyrese goes and loses his damn mind on social media when they when it's announced that they're doing a spinoff. And he's like, you're taking food off my table and blah, 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 blah. Losing well, and his pushed, mind over and it. And it pushed the – we probably would have gotten the next Fast and Furious this year. Right. Instead, we're getting it next year, which mm -hmm. in the big picture to these millionaires is not that big of a deal. Sure. I mean, it is what it is. But how, how do you feel about all that? Because I feel like this still manages to capture the spirit like we had talked about before. It still manages to keep the world a family. Deckard Shaw is very involved. It's his sister. Yep. You know, so he's involved with family. The Rock has his thing, not only with his daughter, but with his Samoan brothers and his mother back back on Samoa. And and it branches out the idea of family where all of these people care about family and, and not to put, you know, lipstick on a pig or anything. But that's some, a somewhat noble, you know, focus to have for this kind of movie, I think. Yeah, well, I think it shows kind of the evolution that we're getting in. A lot of the action films now, um, obviously the Fast and Furious franchise has, has done this for a number of movies now, but where it's getting, I feel like action movies in the past, it was always like the stars, like maybe their family died or their families being threatened right? Um, or whatever. Basically, there's like a traumatic event or a potentially tra traumatic event that causes this, but we don't really see... Once we get past that and we kind of see that as like the trigger point, uh -huh. we're kind of beyond that and we're on to everything else. Right. Uh, you could even look at um, The Rock's previous film with Skyscraper. Yeah. It's pretty much like that's where the emotion is, but it's kind of like there's not really much more to it. You got right. the whole like he lost the leg thing and that kind of stuff. Right. But I feel like in this they try to intertwine the motivations of the characters into this sense of family. Uh -huh. You know, you have Shaw who in our previous meetings, you know, at one point was a bad guy and then, you know, Justice whatever. Justice for Han. Yeah. But he even says that at this one point, like he doesn't want the rock involved. This is a family thing. Right. And then you have the rock and the whole conversation about how his daughter hasn't met his, his brother his and the family, rest of his yeah. family and he hasn't been back to Samoa and then you have all that s story. They take time out to do that and maybe that's why these movies are two hours now instead of, you know, they used to be more like hour and 45. I mean two hours and 30 minutes? Yes. <laughs> How long is this movie? This movie is two hours and 15 minutes. Okay, I'll, I'll walk it back a little bit. Two I was going to say. That's relatively short by comparison to some of the bigger blockbusters. So this is two hours and 15 minutes. I feel like this film 15, 20 years ago was a tight like 90, 100, 90 to 100 minutes. Yeah. Maybe you ventured into like 105, 110, uh -huh. but you were staying under two hours when you did this. And sure. some of it was probably budget reasons, um, but some of it was also I think they didn't really care about the fluff. Like 
they're like, people are coming here for the action. Let's focus on the action where now I feel like they try to at least blend in both. You know, they do. And that's the thing is like, uh, I kind of wanted to talk about, you brought up an interesting point. You brought up Skyscraper. And one of the stories that has come out um, on the sort of eve of this being released is the actors and who's involved with them and their contracts and stuff like that. And The Rock and Jason Statham are fantastic in this movie. They're really funny. They are obviously larger than life. Their action, their their physicality is amazing. Their, their uh, contentious relationship is really funny. My... My theater was laughing uproariously over it, even though it was extremely hot there. Um, (laughs) But one of the things that has come out about the film is that most, a a lot of the Fast and Furious actors, particularly Vin Diesel, The Rock, and Jason Statham, they are putting into their contracts how their characters are treated, which I find interesting. And there is, so it's like, oh, I can only take so many punches. I can, I, you know, I can only, if, if I take five punches, I have to give back five. If I take a body slam, then I got to be able to kick the guy. Sure. And those types of things. There's actually been videos that point those things out, like the fight between Vin Diesel and The Rock in the Fast Five. Like, you can count and, and look at how evenly matched it is. And some people have talked about how, Oh, well, John McClane got the crap kicked out of him and he just kept going and that's why audiences like him. I feel like they're trying to have their cake and eat it too because what happened originally, back in the 80s, you had your big muscle-bound guys, you had your Schwarzeneggers, your Stallones, whatever, and they were they were unstoppable, right? There was very little uh, to get in their way. You know, Commando, Schwarzenegger, same thing. His one weakness or his one emotional point is, I have to say, my daughter, guess who's... Got a daughter in this movie, right? Sure. But then in the late 80s, early 90s, you started getting the everyman hero, the hero who could take a punch, the hero who got the crap beat out of him, who's bleeding, stabbed, shot, whatever, and just kept going. And that was a new hero for a new age. And now I feel like we're trying to do a little bit of both. You have these superhuman characters, Marvel included, you know, some of the, some of these big action movies included, but you have these superhuman characters like... Hobbs, Luke Hobbs, like Deckard Shaw, like Captain America, like Tony Stark, who are infallible. They're going to win. You know, they, that that's what's going to happen. But they have deeper emotional connections. They have deeper lines with their brothers, with their family. I mean, as you said, with Skyscraper, he loses a leg, but eh, he's never really, like... No, no pun intended. He's never really handicapped by it. Like sure. he seems to overcome it at every point. Yep. So, how do we feel about that? Are we are we ven- is that too much control over an actor's image? Is that actors being too ridiculous about it? I, I do want to mention something about Once Upon a Time in Mexico too, but I want to get your opinion on it first. Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Or sorry, not Mexico. That's the <laughs> other one. So that was Robert Rodriguez's one. I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. They talk about it in that film how, oh, you're the old guy and what they do is they bring you in so the new guy can beat you up. And subconsciously, the audience sees, oh, the new guy is beating up this guy. That means the new guy is better, so I'm going to start watching the new guy, right? And if I apply that to Idris Elba's career, I feel very bad for Idris Elba because he should be the guy. But he's always being the bad guy getting beaten up. Sure. 
how do you feel about that? How do you feel about because I feel like that sort of actors kind of getting in the way of that. Like I don't want to see, I don't want to have audiences beat me up. I need to stay relevant. Well, I think that's why you see, you know, kind of reminds me of kind of like what we're dealing with in sports. And I make a lot of references to sports when we talk about this. Um, Indeed, because it's the other passion of mine. Um, but I think you see like this, we're going through this whole like player empowerment area where like people are dictating their contracts and holding out and forcing trades and things like that. And I think we're seeing that become more evident. And I, I will say, I don't think it's something that's necessarily completely new. I think just in this day and age, there are no such things as secrets. So these things get leaked out. Right. Um, really easily, but I think you know, specific to Fast and Furious, I think you see with a lot, and especially when you get to like The Rock, The Rock reminds me in a lot of ways of like a lot of the stories that you hear on like Will Smith in that like he's super calculated sure. in the way that he does sure. um, films and the films that he selects. Mm -hmm. You know, there was always that whole conversation. I can't remember which movie it was with Will Smith that he was offered, but he refused it because he didn't want to be a bad guy. Right. Like for his career trajectory and where he was going he didn't want to add a bad guy even though it would have been an amazing role for him great opportunity awesome opportunity he, he turned down a couple he turned down the matrix and django are two of the big ones that that, that's remember. right Django's the one i was thinking of because yeah. uh um, he didn't want to be in that like that movie's very controversial and it's violence yep. and it's language and and that wasn't part of the tailored will smith brand exactly and so i think you've seen that at times um the Rock is even more calculated. We were talking about it, you know, before we started the podcast. Every move, every social media post, every single thing that he does is calculated, and that's why he's blowing up and is going to be skyrocketing that's why up. He'll be the president one exactly. day. Well, there you go. <laughs> we won't go down that hole. But I think you're getting into this situation where it's like actors are starting to see that. The more and more that are doing that the more and the more they're realizing. We talked about it when the latest trailer for that next John Cena movie came out. And mm -hmm. I said he's basically doing the Tooth Fairy, yep. his version of the Tooth Fairy that The Rock did. He's following The Rock's path. He's done some bit uh, some, roles and things some like, like Rock. crappy little action movies. Like Rock did Be Cool. Mm -hmm. um, Rock did like Scorpion King, which wasn't mm -hmm. a little film, but still it was, you know, a little bit different role. Not a lot of acting involved in that role. Right. Um, be the action and guy. Cena kind of did that. And then he got, you know, some good reviews for some of the comedies that he did. And yep. now he's doing the kids film. And so now he's going to be in a Fast and the Furious film. Yep. So it's like he's <laughs> kind of following that same script. And I think the more and more people that that gets out of like what, you know, the more people that talk to The Rock and he says, this is what you got to do. You got to do X, Y and Z and that kind of thing. Right. The more people get calculated in what they're doing and not just oh, here's a great opportunity. I'm going to pursue this. Right. And, oh, this is another opportunity. I'm going to pursue this. The more actors kind of look at the big picture and say, like, like I need a kid's movie now. Right. And it's now I need formula. an action movie. Yeah. yeah. And the more it becomes formulaic, if that's a word, I think the more you're going to see this. And this it's trickling down even into the minutia of it of if I get hit four times, I got to hit four times back because – I can't have it look like I'm weaker than this other character. Absolutely. It's got to be a balance for this. And Absolutely. so it's, it's, it's interesting for it's sure. Re it's really interesting also to take another you know, approach to it, how the making of a film 
and the creation of it and the behind the scenes stuff is as much a part of the marketing of it as the trailer or the poster. And that hasn't always been the case. You know, they didn't release like when, you know, I think about Nicolas Cage's run as the main action guy. Like, remember that? Remember when Nicolas Cage had the rock face off in Conair and was like the peak action mountain guy? Nicolas Cage? They weren't releasing like three minute behind the scenes clips about like Mahalo and family and whatever, although yeah, yeah. it wouldn't have fit with him. But like they didn't release like three minute clips of him and John Travolta like, oh, we're going to learn each other's mannerisms. It's going to be really great. They didn't do that. We now with the information and the technology and the Internet and stuff like that, we have access and we are, are better informed, not just as film nerds like you and me are, not just film Twitter, but the general public as well. They put that shit on ESPN. They put it on, on uh, YouTube. They put it on Entertainment Tonight. Where it's like, we're going to take a look behind the scenes. That's part of marketing the film. So this stuff is inevitably going to get out, but it's it doesn't make it any less smart to, to make these decisions. Like, that's yeah. just how it is. Like, Cena, sh in that comedy, he's acting with John Leguizamo. He's acting with Keegan-Michael Key. Like, those are heavy hitter comedy guys. And comedy is a very hard thing to learn. That's why The Rock did those comedies. That's why The Rock was in Be Cool, so that he could learn other, like, stretch his muscles in other ways. He yeah. could learn how to be a better actor. And that's just smart. From a Cena standpoint, yeah, that movie doesn't look very good. But it's smart. He'll learn will, a lot in it. He'll learn know? a lot. Exactly. He'll learn a lot being on the set. So, again, I, I, to me, it's not anything different that has ever existed. You know, there's always been actors who are concerned with their image and whatnot. I just feel like now we have the ability to see more behind the curtain and it sure. takes away some of the mystique. Yeah. I well, know. I mean, it's easy for a rumor to spread or, or information to get out because all it takes is one drunk, pissed off fill in the blank there due to get on social media and tweet something or that. And all of a sudden there's going to be this rabbit hole to right. like, I'm sure actors have gotten pissed about spinoffs and things like that. But Tyrese hopped on Twitter and, and said something and sure. that spurred into a whole story. Like 15 years ago, I'm sure those things were happening. Just there was no outlet for him to do. And uh -huh. by the time, like he's not going to like set up a time with a reporter or something to just complain right. about that it was just a knee-jerk reaction the same thing that's getting tons of people in trouble on social media oh but. yep your knee-jerk reactions absolutely so but. let's let's wrap up the non-spoiler section uh obviously i had a blast with this movie it's a dumb movie like this isn't like a and you gotta go see it immediately as soon as possible if you're into Fast and Furious and stuff like that, I love this movie. I, th I thought the action was really well staged and really well done, even though it was cheesy. I thought the performances were really good like for what they were. You know, The Rock is playing The Rock. Statham is playing Statham. Uh, the, the Rock has somehow m mutated. Remember when Luke Hobbs was an actual character? Yep. Like he was an actually like, I'm going to have a goatee. I'm going to be this military, you know, Department of Homeland Security guy. And I'm going to talk like this and I'm not going to take any crap. And you're coming with me, Toretto, no matter what. Now, he's the rock. Absolutely. And the same thing with Statham. You know, it's like, I'm going to put, uh, you know, you took out my baby brother. I'm going to take, he's Statham. And I love that because I know you're a big Statham fan. and I'm, I'm a big, huge the, Statham. I'm a big The Rock fan. So there's no way we walk out of this movie not liking it. Funny, um, fun, funny thing for me is I enjoyed The Rock the most when he was The Rock. And I've enjoyed a lot of his movies. I enjoy all of his movies. Um, 
but my favorite version of the rock was when he was the rock. And so that's what made this one so much so, more fun so for me because he's literally basically his wrestling character in this film. Very, very much so. Um, all right. Before we get into spoilers, we got to do the popcorn ratings. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Now, if you've never sat with us before, if you've never listened to an episode before, our popcorn ratings go a little bit differently. We don't rate things by stars or thumbs up or whatever. We have five different popcorn categories that we like to fit a film into. Uh, it's either burnt popcorn, which means the movie is garbage. Don't waste your time no matter what. Stale popcorn, which means if you can see it for free, I guess, go ahead. Maybe rent it for a dollar. Microwave popcorn, which is your mileage may vary. It might be worth going to see it for you. It might be worth renting. Maybe check out the dollar theater. It's okay. We have movie theater popcorn, which is, hey, you should probably go see this in the movie theater. It's pretty good. And then we have perfect popcorn, which means go out and see this on the biggest screen possible as soon as you can. For me, David, I'm giving Hobbs and Shaw movie theater popcorn. It's not perfect popcorn for me. It's it's because, And if nothing else, it's because this film has a certain audience, right? This film is not for everybody. Um, the action is phenomenal. You should absolutely see this type of action on the big screen. This type of action doesn't translate to watching it on an airplane or even even if you got a big television at home. It just is not going to translate. So you should. If you are into these types of movies, if you are into action movies, if you like The Rock, if you're into Fast and Furious, you should definitely go see this movie. But if you're not, guess what? Don't bother. It's just this movie knows what it is. This movie embraces what it is, loves what it is, and is really good at doing what it is. But I'm not going to give it perfect popcorn just because I just don't – I even though I love it, I can't give it perfect popcorn. I just can't. So that's where I am with that. I'm giving it movie theater popcorn. What about you? For me, I'm going – Four and a soda. You're so giving a soda. So that's what we do anytime we're in the middle is we throw a soda on the, that's on right. the popcorn there. And so I can't quite push it over the edge into perfect popcorn. I considered it really the breaking point for me to take it away from uh, perfect popcorn is it's long. It is long. It's true. If, if this was like a 15 minutes shorter, I probably would – Go and see it at least once more, maybe twice more. Uh-huh. Now it's two hours and 15 minutes. Every theater is like 22 minutes of previews. previews. It's a three-hour investment. It's a three-hour investment when you count in the commute and all that. And That's there's a, stuff in the, tra- in, the, in the credits. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, really you're investing over three hours in this <laughs> film. And that's just a long time. It's the same reason I didn't go see Avengers Endgame a ton of times because it's three hours. It's three hours. So, a lot. Um, but I loved it other than that. I mean, I'm all for the corny jokes and all that kind of stuff. So for me, it hits my funny bone on that sense. So um, I enjoyed it a lot. I love the over the top action. Statham fantastic. Awesome. All the characters are, are just fantastic in it. Um, just lags a little bit in the Samoa part and is just a little long. A little long. That's I mean, and hey, if that if that's what you're, I've all, I always joke that the longer movie is better because you get more bang for your buck. Absolutely, that's, it's not always the case. Um, I do want to talk about there's some there's some characters we haven't talked about specifically. There's we haven't broken down the action specifically, and we're gonna do that. We're gonna get into spoilers, but before we do, gotta take a quick little ad break. 
What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue, I want to remind everybody that you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you for free by hitting that subscribe button, following us wherever you are listening to your podcast from. We really appreciate you just taking a few seconds. Hit that subscribe button. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Share The Popcorn Diet with any of your good movie buddies. We also want to remind you that you can check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet and consider maybe giving a few dollars to the podcast. Not only is it going to help us improve and get better and offer more content, but it's also going to give you access to exclusive patron-only stuff like early episodes, franchise refills, and more. So don't forget to check us out at patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And then last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, reviews, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But David, let's talk some spoilers here. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, I want to talk about the action. It's a lot of action in this movie. A lot of action. Uh, Do you agree? Like, again, I liked how tangible it was. I liked how... The movie opens with two very, like, low-key but very well-staged fights in close quarters. You got The Rock uh, beating up his tattoo guys. You got Statham beating up the nightclub guys. And there's a couple of fights like that where it's going to, okay, we're going to let these guys actually fight. There's not a lot of CG. It's just stunt people. I like that. I like that it felt tangible. Did you feel the same way or were you feeling the CG a little bit? I think there's a enough of a blend between the two um, again when I when I watch these films I kind of come into a certain expectation at this point and so I expect to see some over-the-top things if this turned into like a gritty like John Wick like it wouldn't quite work I'd probably still enjoy it but it'd be a different film altogether and sure. so I expect the over-the-top stuff and and I and I liked all the action that we we had in there um, there's some Super memorable scenes. I think any good action film, you should be able to right away list out like some of the big like the action action sequences, sequences. The set pieces as they call them. Yeah, and so for me, you know, it's it's the elevator and the ropes um, from the from outside the building. They show that. In the trailer. Yeah, I can't remember. It's like their black location or it's like the MI six base. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that one's memorable because even though. You know they're they're chasing after they're trying to get um, Hattie back. Um, they're still like fighting with fighting each with they're each other flipping and each other flipping each other off, <laughs> mouthing "f you" to them. You know, so there's still a lot of fun in it, um, which I love in these films. Like I love when action has that comedy. I think that's what made um, Die Hard so successful, right? Um, because you had that quick wit you had that sarcasm you had john mcclain like cracking jokes and it wasn't just oh this is an action film and you know we're fighting in that and mm-hmm. there's no comedy to this this is serious fighting you know like i enjoy when you kind of have that brevity and it doesn't take itself so seriously in those scenes i like that uh, and that leads like that leads directly into the car chase where he's driving what is he driving he's driving like a le mans or like a maserati he's some driving some yeah. insane car yep and is being chased by Idris Elba and his his transformer motorcycle. That's a big <laughs> one. The uh, the whole sequence in Russia, you know, after they get out of there, they figure out like, oh, we got to go find the doctor. There's some, there's some, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Some story. You got to get the story out of the way. You got to get the exposition out of the way. But then you have, 
I mean, what I and maybe I'm missing one. I don't think I'm missing one. Because you have the fights, you have the opening fight where she like implants herself with the virus. The virus is sure. another MacGuffin yep. that just doesn't the matter. The MacGuffin. There's always a MacGuffin, right? Uh, they do the CIA office. They have the big battle in the building, the flying down with the ropes. Then they have the car chase. Uh, and then they go to this factory in the Ukraine. It's basically Chernobyl. It was. <laughs> they go. <laughs> I leaned over to Dallas, uh, one of our, our good friends of the podcast, who I saw the film with last night, and I said, are they at Chernobyl? And, and I'm pretty sure it was Chernobyl just renamed uh, something different. Rebranded? Because it was in the Ukraine. It was. And, and Chernobyl, I don't believe, was in they the probably couldn't Ukraine. Get, they probably couldn't have gotten the licensing they, for uh, Chernobyl. It's, it's, it looks desolate. It does. Um, and there, that is a whole bunch of things happening. That has, <laughs> Remember when like Mission Impossible Fallout, like the Halo jump in and of itself, was this big thing? This movie launches our two heroes out of a fighter jet. They halo jump, and then they cut midway through. Like, that's how casually this movie treats some of its action. And then there's gunfights and fistfights and torture sequences and a big-ass truck sequence. That might be one of my favorite ones of the film is as they're rushing out of the base. It's, everything's exploding around them. And sure. Massive truck. And Idris Elba, the Terminator. Terminator Idris Elba is he really is Black Superman, and then for most movies that would be the finale. Yeah, but it's not. This is we gotta we gotta take it old school, and that's when they show up on Samoa, uh, which was filmed in Hawaii, and they have and that I think the thing I like the most about the Samoa action sequence is that it is in both worlds um, when it's just. The Samoans and their cl- and their war clubs and stuff against Brixton and his army. It's all real. It's all tangible. It's guys fighting. It's hand-to-hand combat. It's dozens of stunt guys and extras. Real fire, real cars, real explosions. And then it slowly begins to get more and more insane as you start. We got to chase the helicopter. We got to throw the, the chain over the helicopter. Then we got to inexplicably chain five cars together. Like, that was the one part where I'm like, y'all, this is some Looney Tunes bullshit. But I was into it. And even then, the explosions are real and whatnot. And it all culminates in my favorite trope, which is a fight to the death in the rain. Yeah. And I'm like, they do a halfway decent job of somehow going from night to dawn to day to storms and dark and rainy. They do a somewhat decent job of it, even though it all happens over the course of 10 minutes. But I am there anytime it's like final showdown on the side of a cliff in the rain. I love it. I love the fight, and that's when they figure out, oh, we got to work together. I'll take a punch if you land a punch. And I kind of like that. Yeah, they spelled it out for you, and it's kind of dumb that they had to spell it out for you. But I kind of like that. I kind of like this. Like, oh, okay, I'm going to take a blow. You're going to – like, they actually talked about a strategy a little bit, like for a brief moment. Um, I really liked that last fight. I don't know why, but it was, I, it was fun. I did. I enjoyed that fight. I think a, I think a lot of these things, and maybe it's why we ended up with as long of a, a movie as we did, is there's a lot of, I feel like, uh, Leach or Leach kind of flexing his stuntman oh, yes. stuff. A lot of stunt guys in the credits. A lot of stunt guys. And so I, I think it's that's that's what makes the John Wick movie so much fun, and, and that's where I think this really shines as well, in addition to all the 
back and forth between Statham and um, The Rock, as yep. well as um, Vanessa oh, Kirby. Vanessa Kirby. Uh-huh. So I think I think that all really works, and that I mean that's where it comes into the other thing that I think is so much fun about this is some of the performances, and we've talked about some already, but. One of the things I love in movies is when you get these surprise appearances. Right. Um, you think about movies, they're so heavily marketed these days. There's not many secrets out there. There's really when, not. When I you mean, go into films. Especially when we're talking about the behind-the-scenes stuff, right? Like, if the behind-the-scenes stuff is out there, any type of character or actor that pops up as a surprise in a film is Yeah, a you do the media surprise. tours and all that kind of stuff. And yet... They were able to keep, for those of us who don't read spoilers, um, two very major cameos yep. under wraps yep. in Ryan Reynolds, um, Kevin Hart, and actually there was one more. Who was the other Rob agent? Delaney. Rob Delaney. Rob Delaney apparently is, uh, uh, I mean, he's a comedian, number one. He's a really, really funny comedian, but he comes from Deadpool 2. He, pay, he played Peter, yeah. who was the normal dude yeah. that, that assigned to be an X-Force. Yes. And they all pop up in this movie. Peter's, uh, uh, Delaney's a little bit more of a cameo. Yeah. But, like, Reynolds has a legitimate role in this movie. Yeah. He's, and Kevin Hart, little less, but legitimate roles in these movies. Yeah. And it, and they, again, it's where it comes out to, it's just evident they were having a lot of fun. And Ryan Reynolds is is playing what we've gotten to like about Ryan Reynolds. He's playing the, Ryan Reynolds. You know, he's kind of playing a doof from that standpoint. Uh-huh. He's still kind of that quick-talking, quick-witted, mm-hmm. like... Motor inappropriate times idiot. you know type of person uh-huh. but he's a little bit more of like your traditional like agent handler that like is, seems incapable in a lot of ways i got a mission for you sure um so he's he's a lot of fun in it i think also um kevin hart's character just randomly you know i i, I thought of when i was sitting in there even though it had emptied out a lot because of the lack of air conditioning you still had that kind of Pop, I equate it to like wrestling when yeah, okay, just anybody shows up and that, you hear the music. Is, is that, that so and so's music? <laughs> you know, and I feel like that kind of happened with Kevin Hart in this film, where it was like we already got Ryan Reynolds, which was unexpected, and uh-huh. I think at that point you're kind of like, okay, that's kind of a cool cameo, right? And then all of a sudden they're on this plane, and they're and about to fight each other on the plane. Kevin Hart turns around and you're like, what? Kevin Hart's in this movie? You two need to chill out. And there's this whole, and that's one of the reasons why I think this movie is so damn long because they really do let these guys riff. And that oh, movie yeah. is Kevin Hart. That moment is like Kevin Hart riffing for like five minutes. Absolutely. I'm just like, you guys, I'm big. I'm one of the power crew. I'm air marshal. I'm up here all the time. Let me, you know what you really need? You need a third member. And they're, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it no, was awesome. No, no, no. Um, and it was. It was really fun. And, and Reynolds is really, really fun in the movie as well. Uh, he has this bit about stabbing somebody in the chest with a brick yeah. that is really funny. And it's, it's a really good bit that kind of carries forth a couple of times in the movie that they really pay off. Um, well, and I'll say one other thing on Reynolds. I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to talk you, with you about because, this. Okay, so we're going to go off on a little bit of tangent. Okay. Then we'll bring it back in here. So there's that voice, right? Kind of right. the voice over the... You know, we've seen it in lots of films. Etienne or Etienne, I forgot how to pronounce it. They don't really have a leader. Their leader is just hidden behind a, a, a digitized voice yep. where that's visualized with, like, sound waves. So when you listen to when he's on, I swear every single time that that voice was on there, 
I felt like there was a small segment of it. Like we're talking like four or five words max where I swear it was Ryan Reynolds voice. Okay. Um, and I haven't done any research into theories, whether anybody else out there is confirming this or thinking this, but I swear. And I leaned over to, to Dallas in the theater and I'm like, I think that's Ryan Reynolds. And so the last time he shows up and he says like, he leaned back over. He's like, uh-huh. I think that was too. And so, um, it was just super interesting. I don't know if that's where they're taking it, but then you have that final scene with Reynolds uh-huh. where you see him basically beating the crap out of a bunch of people <laughs> like brutally. Yeah. And it's not answered whether there's good causes for him doing that. Right. Or whether he's like going like they failed to get that virus because then he talks about how there's a new virus and mm-hmm. that. So like we don't know whether he's talking about it in the sense of like there's this new bad virus out there or sure. if it's he actually went and got it. He's the bad guy, actually the bad guy, that kind of thing. And then there's the whole aspect that he stabs him with a brick, which also could lead you to believe that he's also done what Idris Elba did in getting that superhuman strength and that sure, kind of thing. Sure. And so maybe he has that connection there. So my theory in it is that, you know, potentially Ryan Reynolds is the bad guy in, in the next one or whenever we see this man behind the voice. Right. Um, which would actually I feel like fall in line with what they've done with these franchises. They haven't done this whole like hidden bad guy and you know, that kind of stuff before it would be a new leaf for them there. But at the same time, you know, you had Charlize Theron, not exactly your typical. I thought it was, she was, I thought it was going to be her. I thought she she was going to show up. So you had that, you know, you had even, you know, so they've, they've done some different things with who the bad guys are and that kind of thing. And, to me, it would be it would fall in line with like Reynolds and some of the things that he does and kind of the different takes that he does on different things it is, um, for him to kind of fall into that. It would be very interesting. It'd be an interesting spin. Uh, I read an interview with the screenwriter Drew Pierce, who co-wrote Iron Man 3 and did Hotel Artemis, and he's done a couple of other things. Drew Pierce, pretty damn good writer. And he talked about how they really love the idea of like an industrial military complex super corporation that were the bad guys and how the future won't be like run by countries but by companies, right? So that's what they're trying to do here is set up this sort of terrorist corporation that's – it's Spectre. It's basically Spectre. It's Dr. Evil. It's the same. It's not new, but to this world it's new. And what's interesting about the quote-unquote director, which is the name of the of voice, is the director of each Etion, is that um, two things. Number one, that director has history with both Hobbs and Shaw. Clearly knows Hobbs, clearly has history with Hobbs. Try and recruited Shaw, tried to recruit Shaw. And there's that whole backstory where Shaw turned him down, had to kill Idris Elba, but they brought Idris Elba back, which means now nobody's really dead in, in, the, in this world. But the other thing that they had mentioned is, is he obviously, the identity isn't revealed, but it's done twofold. Is number one, they don't want to spoil anything, but number two, it might actually change. Like they might, they could, they've left it open enough to where it could be anybody. It could be Charlize. It could be Ryan Reynolds. It could be whoever. I would be interested to know who did the behind the scenes voice. Like when you found out that Reynolds, not for nothing, but I just, it just snapped into my head. Do you know who did the voice of Juggernaut in Deadpool 2? 
Ryan Reynolds. So Ryan Reynolds and the director have a history yeah. of doing a modulated voice for a villain. Well, and, and Interesting. Here, here's the further thing to, to hit home the Ryan Reynolds theory is that the initial instructions that that voice gives to uh-huh. Idris Elba's character to is turn. to return them. And so it kind of falls in line with his, you know, kind of love for at least what he shows on screen for Hobbs that right. he does in the sense that it would make sense for him to be like, I want to team up. I want to get this guy on my side type of thing. And so it kind of brings that in as well. I don't know. I wonder if like the, you know, you want to know, you want to know the other be... two theories. You already mentioned one. The other two theories for them that are kind of floating out there are okay. at least their own. Yep. Ryan Reynolds was one. Okay. If you go on Screen Rant, that's one of the ones that they bring up too. Okay. Um, which it's Screen Rant, but you know. Sure. Um, the third one, and I think this is just because of the late uh, connection, is Keanu Reeves. Maybe. I actually heard that they. I, I remember one of the rumors is that they were going to bring Keanu in, and some, well, the, and at one point they wanted movie. to him be the Idris Elba role, uh-huh. like he was going to be the Idris Elba role, which I don't think would have worked as well. No, I would have loved worked. Keanu in it, but it wouldn't have worked as well as as Idris Elba. No, Idris Elba has a gravitas. Love nothing but love for Keanu here, nothing but love. But it's just not the same. Sure, they'd have to play it differently. Yeah. Ah uh, man, that's super. And see, that's the thing, like. It's just like Avengers. It's just like John Wick. Just keep bringing in more action guys to this franchise. I'm into it. Oh, you, oh, you brought in Kurt Russell in the seventh movie. Great. Uh, I don't I, know why, but great. <laughs> sounds sure, good. let's do it. You know, uh, I'm into all of that. I'm absolutely into all of that. Uh, I wanted to talk about just some of our favorite parts of the film as well. I know you made a list because there's a lot of references here, um, but like. And I got to see it again because there's so many. Well, you're seeing it tonight. There's, yeah. Uh, there's so, while well, I'm seeing it again, um, I got to pay attention to the quotes more because they are just so back and forth with their insults and with their yelling at people. We get like Icy Can of Whoop Ass, which is the rock, a rock staple. I'm going to shove the shoes so far. I'm going to shove a boot so far up your ass that you're going to be. Spitting out shoelaces, which is very close. So I'm gonna shine it up real nice. Turn it sideways. Turn it sideways. Shove it up your. He you, says one where it's just like, what in like the blue turkey hell are we dealing with? I don't remember if I don't think that's the exact phrase, but I just love the way he said it. Well, and that's the thing that you know, going back to nerding out a little bit about wrestling and the Rock and wrestling, but that was one of the most entertaining things about his character was just like the absolutely crazy quotes that. He said, like, the words that he made up, the insults that he did, how right. creative were they were. Those resurface here in this film, and that's why we kind of say, like, he's basically the rock now in this franchise. Yeah. Um, I mean, he does the eyebrow. He does. And well, it's they a wink-wink, nudge-nudge eyebrow. Yeah, like, oh, you do the is. eyebrow thing. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't do the eyebrow thing. Then he does the eyebrow thing. Yeah. And um, then you have the Game of Thrones. A lot of Game of Thrones references in this. I, I I'm trying to think if there's a deeper I, I like how to they it. took an opportunity to dig at the ending of uh, uh-huh. of Game of Thrones. They, Not like the what everybody else has, but I mean, it's one of the many things that people have dug right. at Game John of Thrones. Snow, you but, bang your aunt and then you kill her a day later or something yeah, exactly. like that. Yeah, exactly. And then... Uh, a lot of Easter eggs. You had the Italian job reference, which was probably my favorite. It uh-huh. was one of the more subtle ones, but they go into... Uh, Shaw's, Shaw's like, garage yeah. and he's got all these nice cars, but then he's got... 
Mini Cooper. A Mini Cooper that he says was from an Italian. From an, a uh, job in Italy. Job in a Italy. Job head in Italy. Yeah. You know? Even exactly. though it's not like because the Italian job, they didn't use Mini Coopers in Italy, blah, 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 sure. whatever. It's like, oh, I get it. <laughs> I get what you're doing there. Um, uh, I love that. Do you think any of this, because it's a lot of pop culture references, specifically Game of Thrones, do you think this will lead to it aging poorly? Is Game of Thrones big enough that it's going to age with the movie? Or, um, I mean, at the end of the day, do they even care? I don't think they care, but it did seem there were the Game of Thrones jokes seemed a little off because the banter between Statham and The Rock does have some type of. You know, there are references to like, oh, you you and your little hobbit legs or you, your stupid Harry Potter accent. Like they pull pop culture, but it's more timeless pop culture. And Game of Thrones feels so recent that it, it I don't know why it stood out a little bit, but it did. Um, do I think it'll age? Well, I don't know. I probably Game of Thrones, I feel, is big enough from a cultural standpoint that just like Harry Potter, just like The Hobbit, those references will probably be fine. But it's kind of funny, all of the different references to, like, uh, and not that Game of Thrones was a was a British product or anything, sure. but distinctly, like, fantasy products, fantasy stories and franchises in the insults, I did find fairly interesting. And, they're, and like I said, they're fairly timeless, so they all were books that were turned into movies. I don't yep. know. There's got to be some type of strategy there that I'm just unaware of. You know, Black Superman I, I, is that. I mean, I think at the I end of the day, again, it to me, it just speaks to them being completely self-aware of who they are. Sure. Like, I don't think The Rock and Jason Statham are thinking this is going to be a timeless film. Like. People are going to come back to this movie for years and years. And no. 30 years from now, they're going to be pulling out their, I don't know, I guess they'll just be streaming it or whatever, the way <laughs> yeah. of playing it at that point. Yeah. And, and and watching Hobbs and Shaw, you know, it's going to be the next Smokey and the Bandit this or whatever. It's going to be like Tango and Cash. It's Tango not a movie and Cash. That every, not a movie that everybody's going to watch all the time, but it's like if you're in the mood for Tango and Cash, you can watch Tango and Cash. Sure. If you're in the mood for Hobbs and Shaw, you're going to watch Hobbs and Shaw. Absolutely. Um, so last question before we wrap it up. Where does the future, what does the future hold for the Fast and the Furious franchise? We've already heard some of their plans. Like obviously we're going to get a legit actual Fast and Furious 9 yep. next year, which you and I, we pegged the trailer drop in like Christmas-ish because that movie's due May 20th. I think it'll be like, I, I kind of have three films that it potentially could be in front of. Okay. I mean, we got to think it'll be a universal one. Uh, sure. So you got... The strategy You here. got 1917. Maybe. Maybe. You got, I think Cats. Isn't Cats universal too? Yeah, but neither of those feel like the type of movie. I know. That's why I thought it might be Jumanji, but Jumanji isn't universal, but it is The Rock. So maybe. Who knows? It might be Seven. uh, Well, The Rock isn't. The Rock was a producer on this one. It's part of his Seven Bucks Productions, and Jumanji is also part of Seven Bucks Productions. But the overall Fast and Furious movie is not Seven Bucks. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if that fits there. We're definitely getting a nine. nine, I, I think nine potentially could be the end for. Some of our originals, like Vin Diesel, I don't. I won't say. I don't think Letty will be done because I think she's going to be in the rumored all, all female, female one where we got 
you got to have Letty. Got a lot from of, that I mean, and there's a lot of people to pull from Letty to Mia, Jordana Brewster to Vanessa I, Kirby. To, I mean, I would think at this point Kirby's in. I mean, gotta I, be in, right? She was so great in this that Madam I think M, she's going to be in there. Isaac Gonzalez. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of potential there for sure. Bring yeah. bring Eva Mendez back. There bring her go. back. <laughs> I'm in. I'm there. Um, I do believe they talked about doing ten. Like, I think that that's where, like, Vin Could has... Be. Vin's going to keep making these movies. Vin realized... Remember when Vin left? Vin's like, I'm not going to do the second one. I'm going to show up for Cameo in the third one. Now this is his lifeblood. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, and I think he's also... I mean, he's getting that Marvel money. I mean... He's getting a little Marvel money. Vin can pretty much do whatever whatever he wants Whatever at this he wants. Point. But, I mean, these, these are close to his heart. There's the Paul Walker aspect of it that's close to his heart. I got one last question for you before we wrap it up. Are they going to go to space? I think, you, I think they are. In space? I think they're going to space at some point. You got to find a way to get these guys to race cars on the moon. I don't know if we'll have race cars because that's that kind of goes to the point of yes, this film had the Statham scene in the car and the motorcycle, right? But I think this and you had the the cars with the helicopter and that kind of thing. But I feel like they've also gotten to the point where we're we're willing to use different types of vehicles yes. for it. Because all of these people are drivers that can drive anything, right. like that kind of thing. So maybe they're racing moon buggies. Maybe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. This franchise is insane. It's crazy. but I, it's in play. I think, I think what you'll see, because everybody's – this has been like a question people are asking out there. I think what you'll see is – I think you'll see them make a little ode to everybody talking about it. Like, whatever, they'll – Tyrese, have, like, I ain't going to space. They'll have something where they got to make a jump from so high because that's the only way they won't be detected. So technically, they go into like space to like uh, hide and then drop in or something. I don't know. It'll don't be know. something crazy like that, but um, it'll be interesting. They didn't rule it out. It'll be well, fun. Well, that's and we gonna, got Justin Lin back. So that's right. We are getting Justin Lin back, and Justin Lin did Tokyo Drift, Fast and Furious, Fast Five, Fast Six. He really brought this franchise. Into the he turned it into what it is a into this could be James Bond. It's again. true. Credit where credits due. Justin Lin really t- took the wheel, so to speak, and and put his his foot to the gas. But I'll be there for it. Obviously, we'll be there for it. I'm in. No matter what. Um, that's going to do it for this episode. Before we wrap it up, I do want to remind everybody that you can get regular episodes of the Popcorn Diet just by hitting subscribe following wherever you're listening from we really appreciate it just take a couple seconds just a couple seconds right now hit subscribe share with your friends share us with your family write a review give us a rating share us with all of your good movie buddies don't forget that you can get early access to episodes and additional patron only content by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash the popcorn diet of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And of course, last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest episodes, articles, reviews, predictions, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, and we'll see you next time talking about another good movie on The Popcorn Diet. Adios.